1: Hey, Keegan here. Madigan and I were having some technical difficulties during this recording, and of course we didn't realize until after the recording was completed. We wanted to make sure that we got an episode out to you today on time, so unfortunately the audio quality isn't quite up to our regular standards. We're really sorry about that, but we do hope that you understand and you enjoy the episode anyway. This is our formal
2: apology to your ears.
1: I'm Keegan and I'm Madigan and you're
2: listening to your Your angry Angry neighborhood Neighborhood feminist Feminist. this is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives yes this is a mini episode it's a mini episode
1: and it's a it's a two-in-one nighter yes so if you like these when we're a little bit looser, What's up? you know, a
2: little bit crazy. We, I just got to say, we just did a face mask in between. My face our feels full, very soft. I like this a lot. Yeah, My face feels really actually, good. We did a face mask and we had like some good, just like deep girlfriend conversation. It was nice. I feel rejuvenated in more ways than Same. one. Same. It's,
1: it's 11 p.m. on a Tuesday. <laughs> So we've had a, a almost an entire <laughs> bottle of wine and we yeah. wel- we welcome you
2: to we this mini episode.
1: you. And look man, because it's 11 p.m. on a Tuesday we are, I swear to God, I swear to God, we're going to get this thing in in under 40 minutes. Okay?
2: Listen, we're going to get to it. If not, my boyfriend is going to be pissed. I, honestly, I have to go He's to bed. He's going to be like, I haven't seen you all day. What I, the fuck?
1: I have to get up and go to work tomorrow. So, listen, people. I don't know why I'm being so aggressive with our listeners. Like, <laughs> like it's their Listen, fearful. people. It's going to happen under 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, not under 30. Under, under 40. Under 40 minutes. Keegan, what do you want to fucking talk about okay well you know what let's start with the worst as always yeah so i mean it's it's the worst in what they're talking about but people are in motion to try and stop it so a coalition of attorneys general file lawsuit to block looming 3d printed gun hellscape have you heard about this no tell me so there is this company That is basically, like, going to start selling blueprints online so that people can 3D print guns at home.
2: Which sounds like a great... Y'all so fucking desperate for your damn guns? And also, like, what... How is this a good idea for
1: anyone? (laughs) It's like, first of all... It's not even gonna work. You're gonna, like, shoot yourself. They're untraceable because you're not buying them from a dealer so they have no, like, number or anything on them. And they're made of plastic so you could get them through, like... Metal detectors and shit. Why is this a good idea? Like who? It's not. But uh, okay. So, I feel like
2: we're giving people ideas even just by saying this. Well, it's
1: not an idea. It's it's a thing that's happening. I know. You know. So a faction of attorneys general from Washington State, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Maryland, and D.C are suing the Trump administration to block a Texas company from publishing blueprints for 3D-printed guns. So this is a thing that's already happening. Can you
2: believe that we live in a world where this is the kind of shit that we have to talk about? I mean, yeah, and Obama
1: whenever he was in office, put something in place that kind of, like, blocked this from happening, and then the Trump administration was kind of like, it's fine. It's fine. But I don't understand that either, because then Trump put out a um, tweet, of course, his primary mode of communication. Did you see there's a
2: book that I think Trevor Noah Trevor Noah, put out? Is we saw all Trump tweets? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. He and I saw it at Barnes & Noble today, and it's like... I it's, love him. Yeah. He's so cute. He's so... Wait. T or Trevor Noah? Trevor Noah. Oh, I'm like, I mean, also they're T. both pretty cute. True. Um, But he, because any time he sees Trump, he's like, poopy head. So I was like, what's that book? And it's like all his tweets. I'm I sorry. think that's
1: so funny. Continue. So Donald Trump tweeted, I'm looking into 3D plastic guns being sold to the public. Already spoke to NRA. Doesn't seem to make much sense. And here's the thing. I don't understand why... This is an issue at all because if it served the NRA, then I could understand why the Trump administration would be like. But it doesn't even. But it doesn't because where are they going to get their money? Yeah. If people can start three D printing guns at home, why are they spending money buying guns?
2: But he can't say anything about not. Creating guns or having guns in some way because it would taint his reputation, his base,
1: yeah, yeah. But what Donald Trump sees is dollar signs, though, and like dollar signs come from the NRA, and there's no way the NRA dollar the signs come
2: from the NRA. But dollar signs also come from the fact that like he still has his supporters in office, and if he straight up says that he doesn't agree with them creating 3D printed guns then the way that the Trump supporters are going to be thinking is that he's taking away anti-guns, freedoms like an anti-gun law. Exactly. So he needs to, I think he is with it enough to be able to understand that like, there are certain things that he can and cannot say when it comes to 3D. I mean, he,
1: he did say, which I think for him is a strong denouncement to say, like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But it, I mean, not that I want to say I agree with Donald Trump, but like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't like, make sense. like, I'm like, Truly, if this becomes a reality, it is a hellscape. I was looking at 3D printers, and they range anywhere from $500 to $5,000 to buy a 3D printer. Which is not
2: completely out of the question for a lot of people.
1: Not a lot of gun owners, given how much it costs to buy a gun. And if you're purchasing many guns... I mean, invest in a good 3D printer, and then you're basically saying you as can buy you these blueprints for—I think they have a blueprint for a handgun and AR-15 rifles. Oh, my um, God. The Associated Press reports that 1,000 people have already downloaded blueprints for AR-15 rifles. Can you imagine—imagine imagine a 15-year-old getting one of these blueprints because— the way that technology advances, eventually we're all going to have 3D printers, right? Yeah. Like,
2: that's the way that technology works. Yeah. And if you if it's just accessible to have anything that you want and right. create anything you want, mm-hmm. it's creating a huge danger without really having to have any sort of... Um, Regulations in place I was just gonna say Regulation on who Is doing it It can be a child It can be a young person Who doesn't fully understand The ramifications Of their actions Right And I've
1: heard people say Well Then we just need to do Basically I think it was Chris Rock Maybe it was Chris Rock Who had a stand up piece That was basically like We don't need gun control We need bullet control Like make bullets Really expensive (laughs) And I'm like Actually That makes sense Yeah Because if people can afford To buy firearms But can't afford to buy Bullets in large quantities They can't do as much damage But people have for a while now been creating their own like ammunition ammunition at home. Yeah. And if it's not a bullet, it's still something that can cause a lot of damage. Yeah.
2: You know, so it doesn't take that part doesn't take much to create yourself.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's an organization not an organization, a company called Defense Distributed. And they're the ones who are doing this. This
2: is the thing. This just came into my head. We can 3D print AR-15s. But I need to show my license to order Sudafed over-the-counter. Well, yeah, I mean, and and in not
1: every place, but in a lot of places, you would need to show your license to get a weapon. And, like, you wouldn't have to do that to download a blueprint for an AR-15? Like, how does that work? Like, are we going to put any regulations in place for the downloading of these these blueprints? Like, I don't understand.
2: Keegan, every day, I feel like I'm hating people more and more I mean that's where we are it's just like I wish I could go back to like a few years ago just for a minute and feel that s- sense of innocence but here's the thing <laughs> yes you would have <sighs> felt that sense of innocence and so would I have then it would have been
1: false it would have been false because uh, the world has I don't know if this brings you comfort or like more distress but the world has always been shit like <laughs>
2: always been shit it just didn't touch our lives in the same way um, well, and the fact is, is that technology is growing and growing, which means that dangerous things keep growing and growing. Like, yeah, access to guns access to things. has grown more and more since we were young. You know, we both grew up in a time, like, I, when Columbine happened was when I was in like first grade. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much went through my school system with school shootings being a thing. We didn't really do lockdowns and things like that until I was in high school. That wasn't really part of our like school right? You know, drills or whatever. Yeah. So it's different than like the, Generation Z who is used to these. Right. Going through it like all the that. time. Mm-hmm. But something that I've seen with our, um, you know, we are the nostalgic generation because we remember what it's like to have cassette tapes. Yeah. And yet we know how to work an iPhone like nobody else, you know? And I actually, so we have this sort of understanding of what it was like before these like high powered guns and. Well, and before nine eleven. Well, I actually, yeah. I actually read something that something about
1: millennials and our generation Something happened to us from a psychological standpoint after nine eleven happened nine We're, eleven
2: fucked me up, and that's suddenly when I think that's really when I became politically active well we be beca- it,
1: it was a societal trauma, yeah, it was like a trauma that we all went through together, and it did like I read an article that basically said it did something to us psychologically. Where we became super nostalgic in a way that like other generations aren't quite as nostalgic, yeah. and also the advancements of uh, the advancement of technology made us yeah. super nostalgic too because like, we, we can do watch remember
2: friends it. and understand exactly what they're saying about you know when Monica tries to go over the voice recording and ask right records yeah. yeah you know we get we get that our side generation and then, is
1: in a really interesting like bridge exactly. where like and and it's because. Technology has moved so, has advanced so fast that we have seen so many different forms of technology in our lifetimes than our parents ever did.
2: And the reason that that's important, and the reason we're discussing that when it comes to guns, is because the technology, when it comes to guns and the access to guns and things like that, has also improved so highly. And also, just the communication between people who are violent has yeah. And I, so I think highly. that that's
1: the main thing is because guns and access to guns have always been around like especially like in the midwest the south where hunting is prevalent but the communication the social media aspect of it and the ability to kind of like look at what other people are getting look at elliot roger look at all these other people who are getting these like accolades and attention i mean has expounded the columbine
2: shooters have like a following of girls who find them and they cannot talk to each they can other talk to each other communicate with people, each other they are heroes to a lot of people as fucked up as that sounds no but, but that's the world that we live in well
1: and they have access to each other whereas you may have had those thoughts on your own but they weren't fed they weren't validated yeah so you it, it didn't you didn't have the same kind of like ex- where you could just like permeate on it and marinate on like this idea For a long time and find a community of people who, uh, you know, validated that
2: idea. Yeah, but I feel, I I mean, I hope that eventually, God, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say with I hope, (laughs) but all I can hope for is that eventually there will be some sort of administration who will slowly but surely... Yeah, be helping it's, to make it's this be less a, of a reality. A really long road, and it's going to um, be hard because the technology continues to advance. To be able to catch up to those things and to continue to create laws, yeah. against some of that. I mean, I think if, if there's any
1: silver lining, it's that there is a lawsuit being filed right now to try and stop this from happening. Yeah, it says the lawsuit filed by the attorneys general is straightforward enough in its intent. 3D printed guns are a nightmare. I have a question for the Trump administration. Why are you allowing dangerous criminals easy access to guns? Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson said in a statement. These downloadable guns are unregistered and very difficult to detect, even with metal detectors, and will be available to anyone regardless of age, mental health, or criminal history. If the Trump administration won't keep us safe, we will.
2: Yeah, because it really just doesn't make sense for anybody because right. I feel like the Trump administration is also saying, like, we're going to keep the bad guys in jail. You know what I mean?
1: Like they have- Well, Trump has said how many times we are the law and order administration like we're yeah. the law and order what you mean by that is that you mean law and order when it comes to brown people truly like that's yeah. what you mean and you mean yeah. like we're gonna and we're did going see, to
2: I, Did you see that article where it's like woman is um fine with trump administration until she realizes that it's going to affect her rights not only the rights of brown people of
1: course yeah yeah i mean of course that's what this is it's like you, when you say you're the law and order administration you mean with brown immigrants And with brown people who live in Chicago, that's what you mean. You don't mean with white middle class blue collar people.
2: Can I talk about brown people that are immigrants? (laughs) Yes, please. I I hope that. Can I segue? Segue right into it. So I was reading. I was looking through Jezebel today to try to get some inspiration for what to talk about. Yes, they are talking about the people who are trying to abolish ICE. ICE stands for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Correct. I read an article where, I, and I, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, it was a long article. We talked about it in the swearing episode that's coming up, that's in your future, I didn't get a chance to read every word of it, but it's like, what does abolish ICE mean? Do we really want to abolish ICE? Can it be done? Is it a winning strategy for Democrats? Things like that. So it seems like the idea to abolish ICE spread from the aid of Uh Kirsten, Gillibrand, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or Uh Cynthia Nixon, all of whom have spoken out about dismantling the agency. Less attention has been paid to the immigration rights activists who have fought for the creation of ICE since 2002. And we were just talking about 9-11 as well. 2002 was right after 9-11. Right. Right. So this is when immigration and fear of terrorists and things like that, like our phobias of other, um, like really of others, of others, yeah. really. I mean, not that it hasn't always been a thing, but like it was kind of re- reborn. A it was bit. it was
1: reborn, and I also believe again because of that trauma that we all collectively experienced and that fear that we all had, rightfully so, we all had this fear. I feel like it was the perfect time for people to capitalize on that fear. On the fear, Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And so the same people who were fighting against ICE in 2002 are the same people who are fighting today, but their voices have been absent from what's been published. The exception is a piece by The Nation, which fe- which is um, The Nation, I think it's like a some sort of news source, I don't really know much about it, which features commentary by organizers from uh, Detention Watch Network and Project South and Magente, which are all, like, Mm anti-ice organizations. Mm -hmm. So there is an Atlantic article that says, "...the movement's goals are still murky. While it began as little more than a hashtag, Abolish ice has unfurled almost overnight into a small movement." The only quote unquote activist of this quote unquote small movement interviewed is an advisor to the campaign of Ocasio Cortez and Sean McElwee, which is the creator of the Abolish ICE website, which I believe is abolishice.org. Uh, the movement seems to remain a largely rhetorical activist position with questionable feasibility. Mm. And that's a lot my concern. of concern, it's, it's a big concern because it's, it's one of those things where it's very fad like, and a right. lot of this reminds me of the Me Too movement, because there are people who have started this grassroots movement of Me Too, and it became very popularized by celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of very similar, especially when we talk about Cynthia Nixon being one who's talked about it. Mm-hmm. I love Cynthia Nixon. So do I. I hope that she succeeds. I would love so for I. her to be the senator but... of New York. But we have to understand that by her speaking about it, her information that she's getting is coming from these people who have started a movement from 2002, 16 years ago. And also, here's the thing. Cynthia Nixon
1: is an actress who is now a politician. And she is running for governor. Mm -hmm. And she might be clutching on, because she's a politician now, she might be clutching on to things that are going to make her popular. Yeah. These are really good sound bites, but you need to give me a practical way in which this is going to work. Right. Because and right I feel now, like if she,
2: if she could at least be quoting the people that she's learning from right. and giving them the credit. Yeah. Which... Well, and give me a practical way that this is going to work, because if it's yeah. all
1: rhetorical, that doesn't do anything for that's, me.
2: That's how it seems. And people are talking about a lot and it's I'm it's one of those things that we talk about a lot about it being kept in the forefront of our minds when it comes to gun violence when it comes to immigration issues it, you can't have it just be a hashtag it can't be a fat it can't be right. something that we post about one week and forget about the next and we also that have, we have to keep thinking of actual ways to make things happen implementation yeah yes. I agree
1: and I also think it needs to be We need to understand the steps that would be taken and also anytime you take away a government agency, even one that is as hated and in oftentimes rightfully so as ICE, there needs to be a practical step to phasing it out or replacing it or what are we going to do to fill that
2: slot now? You know what I mean? And you have to
1: give us something.
2: Let's all keep that in mind. And I'll remember to keep this in the forefronts and to, you know, if we can't, you know, be the ones exactly to make these laws change because we don't have the power that some of the people in higher powers do to at least remember that amongst our communities. And the other thing that we really need to remember is that this, what this movement is lacking is the voice of the actual immigrants. Um, they, you know, we are listening to people who haven't experienced this uh, personally. I right. mean, and they're scrolling past articles of people who have spoken directly about, you know, losing their children or seeing their children for the first time yeah. in months. I mean, uh, Cortez, her parents were at least
1: immigrants. So yeah. she has, she's touched by this in some way, but yeah. it's like, it's not the same. But it I has shame. to be,
2: yeah, it has to be um, a very personal thing. And um, they are the ones who have been criminalized by this whole undocumented um, immigration situation Mm -hmm. that we have. I wrote a quote by Erica L. who is the executive director of, uh, I think it's pronounced Juntos. Okay. It's spelled like Juntos, but I know that's not right, (laughs) which is a Latinx immigrant rights group. And she says, we say abolish ICE. It also means decriminalizing migration and the ways that migrants are treated like criminals. Also, the lower number of deportations. We need to start lowering that number. We we have to start treating people of color like they are criminals. Um, Right. Because it it starts, as much as we don't have the power to change a law, it starts with us in the ways that we are treating our fellow Americans, even if they are not fully documented Absolutely. As and
1: I will say this as someone who has been very vocally anti-Trump and, and will always continue to be. But I think sometimes we forget as progressives, I lean away sometimes from calling myself a Democrat, and it's for reasons like this. We forget as progressives that we have been part of the problem for a really long time. Like Obama, for All the things I love him for. I mean, his nickname is Deporter-in-Chief. Like, he deported so many people. Right.
2: And I think that Obama, there was, you know, he was ideally trying to do the right thing, I think. I think. I think. think, I think think at the end of the day, as much as
1: he's a charismatic, wonderful, funny, probably would be a great guy to be around— He's still a politician.
2: He is. But, you know, he also talked about, you know, how he was trying to get some of the drug cartels out. And he probably made a, a bit too much of a blanket statement when it comes to deportation, and we are still paying for that now. But I feel that... Um, the Trump administration doesn't help, and it's okay to point well, out the downfalls of the yeah. greatest president we've ever had, and <laughs> you know, be aware of the how Tr- we're treating the
1: Trump other administration has been has been blatantly racist, which is which is something that, of course, the Obama administration never was. Yeah, I can't speak to Obama's motives because I think as a politician politics is ugly and yeah. I think it, it makes it can make you ugly and as much as I love Obama and want to believe that he's amazing I also think you don't you cannot get to the you can't be president in the United States if you can't compromise in some way
2: but you know what he is also human, and we are also human, yeah. and we can learn from those things. And he can look back and see that he's maybe done some things that are wrong. Where I don't feel that Donald Trump will ever look back. And see oh no, because no, he's a narcissist. He doesn't care. He so doesn't care that he's done anything wrong. What we are no longer in the Obama administration. We have to start treating our immigrants and our fellow people of color differently in order to eventually make this change and not let the Trump administration taint our vision of other people that are around us. Absolutely. Okay, so I have something else. This is going to kind of jump
1: ahead because this is my good thing of the week. Okay. I had a thing. I do want to kind of touch on, which isn't the best thing, but it's not the worst thing. I did want to kind of touch on Trump and Giuliani and his team now saying that, like, they went from being, like, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, to now saying that, well, collusion's not a crime anyway. Yeah. Like, that's where they've moved to, so I have some notes on that, but because we are talking about immigrants right now, I want to talk about my good thing, because we were talking about immigrants and how people who are immigrants aren't being actively involved in these conversations. Well, they
2: are, they are being involved, they're not being publicized,
1: so, I have the um, Selena for a Sanctuary concert series has raised Selena? over... Selena? Selena! Anything for
2: Selena! bum bum. Be-de-be-de-bum. She was a girl. I fucking love Selena. I watched that movie, like... I had the cassette was my- tape. Fucking... Yes! Yeah. Like, I watched that movie, like, it was my Bible and cried every fucking yeah, time. I loved her. I can't understand Spanish, yet I will sound out the words and I can sing all Selena songs. I can't understand Spanish, but I listened to that Casina... That Casina... That uh, Selena cassette tape over and over and over. I remember being in Mexico listening to that and being, like... I kind of I knew corazón, I knew amor. (sighs) I was like, oh, I felt her, even though. And like being like immersed in like the Mexican culture made me feel. I was like, girl, I feel. Yeah, and she brought
1: that like Mexican culture into the mainstream.
2: Yes, for for like redneck Americans. Anything
1: for Selena. Anything for Selena. Um, Sorry, so the Selena for a Sanctuary concert series has raised over ten thousand dollars in legal fees for immigrants. Yes. There was this girl, Doris Munoz, who began this concert series, and it's amazing, and I'd never heard about it, and she lives in, like, San Bernardino, and she originally started it because it was something that was very, very personal for her. So Munoz, a 24-year-old Chicana, is the only person in her immediate family who is a natural-born United States citizen, Mm -hmm. born and raised in San Bernardino, California, She's always had a tenacity to make a way where there seems to be none. Solidarity for Sanctuary was initially created out of sheer necessity as a deeply personal project to raise funds for a very real need. Munoz's parents migrated to the United States in 1989. Since then, after countless immigration appointments were pushed back, they've been living in the shadows. When Munoz turned 21, she was officially legally permitted to petition for her parents' permanent residence, yet they were never able to afford the legal fees, which can range from the high hundreds to thousands of dollars. Cost is a cyclical and common issue for working class immigrants who are striving to simply survive while attempting to get their citizenship papers in order. This is something we can't drive home enough. When people say, well, why can't they just do it the legal way?
2: Because it is not made for them. It's to not
1: plausible to it the for way. these people. And they've been living in the United States since 1989. Yeah. Like, this is their home. They yeah. have their daughter here. This is their home.
2: Yeah, you're tearing them away from their families and everything they've known.
1: Right. And so it's like... It's not as easy as people like to make it seem like it is. In in fact, in some cases, it's nearly impossible. You've seen the videos of the people who are like, my dad has been trying to get citizenship for 20 years, and he finally got his letter, and he's, like, crying. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things. Fueled by the fear that lingered after seeing her brother deported in 2015, Munoz hosted her first ever Solidarity for Sanctuary event on March 26, 2017 in Highland Park, Los Angeles. About 300 people showed up putting the hi-hat at capacity. Thrilled by its success, Munoz expanded her vision to include funding for DACA recipients, renewals, financial support for legal fees and other immigrant families, awareness around immigrant rights and importance of voting and more. So... But she has put on like a handful of these all across the country at this point. And it's amazing. Each one has grown and grown and she keeps getting support from people. At this point, she has semi big names in the Latinx community showing up to um, support her. And what she's doing now is the Selena for Solidarity event, which is Selena songs and covers. Yeah. Like so you have like Latinx performers. She's
2: the one that like yeah, brought that everything. brings people together. People turn out for it. So she's, I am a white girl from the Midwest who grew up loving, loving Selena. Selena. That's right. If that's... Any proof that you need that she brings people together?
1: Yes. So so far, the concert series has raised over ten thousand dollars in legal services. Now Mu- Munoz is thinking long term. She plans on building her own nonprofit and continuing to create a safe space for people so they know that their narrative means something. Munoz, raise on. So yeah, she ke- she's now gotten a lot of sponsors. She's got a lot of like Latinx performers who are showing up. Uh, a lot of people are turning out. Her first event here in LA, had 300 people turn up to it. I love that. So it, it started as something very personal for her to get legal fees for her parents to keep them in the country. And it's
2: become something such...
1: And 24 years old, and now she's started God. her own like thing to try and get help for immigrants and help other immigrant families. And she talks about how it's so important for the Latinx community because now they yeah. have something that is so theirs. Yes. And I think that that's so amazing yeah. and we applaud
2: you so much girl yeah. rage on rage on you okay have an eyelash thank you make a wish and blow okay thank you
1: so that right. was my that was my happy one i have another one but you know what it can wait can I, I say
2: can i say my happy one i say
1: you say your happy one
2: um i got this idea from our listener annie who we love so much hi annie annie Annie, are you okay? Alright, so Vogue is contractually obligated to I le- saw this to let Beyonce <laughs> do whatever she wants for her September cover. I kind of love And that. when Annie sent this to me, I was kind of like at first I was like, I'm I'm a Bay fan. Like she's fine, but I'm not like You're not part of the Bay Hive. I'm not a part of the Bay Hive. Is it Beehive? I thought it was Beehive. Bay- Bay- Hay- Hive. Well, either way, it's both. I'm like, I'm i am like i am I I admire Beyoncé but I'm not necessarily like an you don't avid her. like listener, worshipper. I'm like I don't really get the whole whatever understood. I, I don't really worship human beings like they're, you know, I don't know, whatever. No, I, so, I I'm
1: not on that celebrity plane either, but right. I love Beyoncé.
2: So she's great. I don't, you know, I, again, I, it, her type of music—not that—that is bad. Is not the kind that I listen to. I listen to old fucking you old need people to music. Watch yourself. The Bayhive will come for you. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that, like, I'm an old You're fucking- taking yourself deeper. I am an old lady <laughs> who listens to old lady things, and Beyonce is great. That's all I have to say. And all right, move on quickly <laughs> because I know Beyonce is great. I'm fucking talking about this shit. So. The September issue is that huge fucker of a magazine, right? It's I, like a Bible. I, look, I love the September issue Vogue. Yeah, I do. So, do we all know who Anna Winter is, aka yes. Miranda Priestley, whatever her name is from Double Wish Product? Yes. Yeah, we're on the same page. Cool. All right. So, Beyonce is going to have full control of the September issue of Vogue. Which she deserves, because she she's amazing. She what she wants. I was, okay, I was bowling an independent, the, um, shoes on my feet. I got about it. it like that song came on and i'm like jamming to it and i'm like holy shit this woman has created such an amazing career for herself from the time that i was a wee child yeah to adulthood yeah that's where beehive beehive don't come at me i understand and she works so fucking hard like you can tell like her performance she's is beyond amazing yeah, yeah she's yeah. amazing just because I don't listen to her music on the regular doesn't mean that I don't respect an icon when I see it. Right? Her so artistry
1: is is incredible. She
2: will be. She will live on and in for me yeah. for sure. So, the fact that she is given full control. But at first, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. But I started reading. And she has hired the first black photographer to shoot a cover in the publication's 126-year history. Yes! 126 years! (laughs) Too long. 126 years! too long to not have one. Do you get it yet? 126 years! Oh, I get it. Okay, so the, the photographer's name is Tyler Mitchell. He is 23 years old. Also, 123. 100, also, 126 years. Anna Winter has been the uh, like in charge of Vogue for 30 of those years. Just saying. So Tyler Mitchell is 23 years old. Okay, he all is, these people
1: just making me feel bad about like be
2: <laughs> not doing anything with my life. <laughs> he is but a wee youth. So pe but people are like, I don't know if I trust someone besides what's her face to be able to like shoot these covers. But like Annie Leibovitz, maybe we need to give some people like fucking chance. Look, man, Aunt Annie Leibovitz is amazing. I've met hey, her. Hey, not Annie Leibovitz? Oh yeah, that's what you did me here. Because she did a lot of the Vogue covers. But I think it was and something else. But maybe it was Leibowitz, and it was just stated as something else. But um, the reason... uh, This is a quote that I wrote down and it doesn't say anything besides this. Is the reason 23-year-old black photographer is photographing Beyonce for the cover of Vogue is because of Beyonce used her power and influence to get him that assignment. And this is something that we say all the time. Beyonce is a artist of color... Who is privileged enough as an artist of color to use that privilege for the betterment of another artist of color who doesn't have that privilege? This is what now everyone at the top should be doing for people who are. Because the people below them. like Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, all of the other, even though Ariana Grande is technically part of the people of color who can pass as a white person, these people should. Be using their powers for good. Amen. Are you a good witch or are you a bad That's witch? That's right. To quote The Wizard of Oz. Well, I mean, it's what we talk
1: about with anything. If you are a man, in a position of power, you should be using your power to uplift people who are maybe more disenfranchised than you. If you are a person of color who is in a position of power, use your position of power to help people, other people of color who if you are, are more a, disenf-
2: If you are a white woman... Absolutely. ...and you are in a position of power, you should be giving chances to the people who are people of color. It, are, it works. Less it, likely to get those chances otherwise. It works in a hierarchy. and Absolutely. The only way these things are going to change is if people like Beyonce starts to put their foot forward and say, no, this is what we're gonna do. I love
1: it. I love it. Like, that's amazing. And, and I
2: hope that more people take that lead and continue with it. And right. I hope, and she inspires me and puts me in place to remind myself. Right. That when I can use Uses the wrong word, but when I can show someone's talent, right, that needs to be shown, right, no matter what the privilege, skin color, give someone else that opportunity, give them the opportunity, no matter who they are, especially if there's someone that's in the minority, because we need to start showing that and lifting them up to be able to create a more level playing field. Absolutely. Yeah, And not to pity. It's not a pitying. No, but here's the thing. It is because, and people are saying, you know what, I don't know if I trust anyone else besides so-and-so to shoot these pictures, but if Beyonce says this person is good enough, this person's good enough. But,
1: I mean, and why? Because it's just, like, Annie Leibovitz, if that's who it is, like, Annie Leibovitz was just a young 20-something photographer at one point in her life. Yeah. Like, someone had to give her an opportunity, and... If you don't start giving opportunities to other people of color or other women or what have you, then they're never going to be in a position of power to give other people opportunities. If all we have at the top are straight, because for so long, all we had at the top were straight white men, all that came into power underneath them were straight white men because we maintained that status quo. We need more people of color, more women, more people who are maybe you know, gender fluid or they need to be stepping into these positions. Because it's going to
2: normalize that lifestyle for people who might think that it's weird or strange or not right in some way. If we start bringing forth these types of people, it's going to change the way that we think. We talked about this in our body hair episode. Right. If children are seeing me with my armpit hair then maybe when they're older and they see a girl they're interested in with armpit hair and they're not going to judge. It'll be
1: normalized for them. It'll be
2: normalized. I agree. We need to start normalizing things for people. And it also will create jobs and chances for everybody, which doesn't hurt anybody. Straight white men, you're still going to get your jobs. Yeah, please. Fine.
1: Come the fuck on. You're <sighs> fine.
2: That's a thing. Can I give a quick Demi update? Yes, Demi update. Okay, so this is all... It's one tiny little thing is all I have to say. So, sources say... They have not discussed rehab yet since Demi is not yet out of the woods after her overdose. So if you haven't listened to our episode last week, we talked about Demi Lovato who had an overdose. Some of the details are still murky. We don't want to speculate, but people are very concerned as to whether or not she's going to be going back to rehab or not. And sources, and we know that sources are unreliable, but they're saying that she is still not in a place where they can be discussing rehabilitation, but more so they're just trying to make sure that she is well enough to keep moving forward. So I wanted to keep her in our thoughts and, um, right, I be aware of what's going on because I think that a lot of what she stands for is really important, especially when it comes to rehabilitation, um... I actually, I know some. I went to treatment with someone who went to treatment with her, and um, you know, she never shared anything that was personal or things like that. But it, but it did kind of shed a light on the, you know, she, she, stars are like us, you know, whole kind yeah. of thing where it's, it's good to we understand. have to focus on the humanization of this person. Yeah,
1: it's good to understand that recovery is a process, and it's not something that happens overnight because you manage to get treatment right away it takes a while and so I think it's good to see in real time that she's just because she's out of the woods so to speak of that original incident it doesn't mean that she's better and like ready to be back
2: and hopefully you can look at the person in your life who's trying to get better and see that their recovery is not linear I understand that it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be linear, but as long as that person is continuing to try, you need to continue to have hope for them. So I wanted to bring her up again because I want us all not to forget.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you did.
2: What else do you have to talk about, Keegan?
1: Well, I know we would normally do a sister solidarity story, but... My battery is going to die. So.
0: (laughs) Can
2: I say a really quick sister solidarity thing that happened to me this week? Yes. So I'm having serious tax issues, and it's going to be figured out. Everything is fine. But I've been sent all these letters, and, like, I've never experienced any of the C4, and it was so anxiety-provoking for a person who, like, needs Xanax on the reg. So. It would be anxiety-provoking for me, and I don't take Xanax. Yeah. So I. I. My mom was like call this phone number. No, you're probably going to be on hold for 20 hours, you know, it's going to be rough. Be prepared for whatever. I had to call
1: Spectrum Internet today because my Wi-Fi wasn't working and I swear to God it was like I acted like it was the biggest inconvenience of my life.
2: Can I give you some help? <laughs> yes. I called this IRS hotline. It rang once and this person answered and I gave an auto- well like so I gave an automated thing whatever. They were like please hold. <laughs> Hi, so-and-so. My ID number is so-and-so. That's all it took. No hold. you nothing. <sighs> and this woman. Relief. God fucking bless her. I was like, this may as well be in, in like, Greek. I have no idea what's going on. What the fuck is happening to me? Am I being audited? Am I being this? Am I being that? Why aren't you getting any money? She goes, no, 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 no. And she explains everything to me in like layman's terms. She's like sweet and kind and wonderful. And our conversation is maybe six, seven minutes long. I ask her all the questions I need. I go through all the paperwork. God, that's such a relief. And And I told her, I was like, thank you for being so wonderful. And she just like laughed and I was like, no seriously. And she was like, okay, have a great day. Bye. And like, you know, that was it. And I called my mom and I, you know, updated her on everything. And she was like, talk about sister solidarity. And I was like, you know what? I should mention that. And having worked in customer support,
1: I can say that that is not always standard. And it is hard. Like having worked in customer support, like. Especially for the IRS. It is so hard to maintain being really
2: nice. But it didn't seem like hi, how can I help you? It was genuine. genuine, Well, it would have to be. It was a genuine patience. I wouldn't say... She wasn't, like, overly enthusiastic. There was nothing crazy, but it was more so just, like, a genuine patience. But even with that, it's hard. It's hard. Because you talk to so many people who yell at you all day.
1: It is hard to hold on to that patience. So the fact that this person was still able to come to you with such, like, openness and patience.
2: It is special. And part of it was, like, I was like, do I... Because I had to say if I agreed or disagreed to the certain terms. And I was like, well, do I just say that I, like, agree, move on? She goes honestly if I were you I would disagree and have them refile xyz so she didn't and just the tell you the she, answer that was like what the IRS would She was like do. if I were you and to me that really made a huge difference because I told her I'm like look I don't know what I'm doing and so the fact that she was so wonderful to me uh shows a true like stranger sister solidarity
1: I agree so yeah I agree and to talk about really quickly before my um, I know I'm scared now before my computer dies, I really just want to give a shout out to all of my friends and our sister solidarity for last weekend when we had the bachelorette party because amazing oh my gosh when we went to the spa and everyone was so we were naked and everyone was so accepting of
2: everyone else and can, gain, can i just say how honored i am that i've been like let into this circle yeah like you're the so fact in that it i was invited to this bachelorette party you're in it made me feel such a sense of love and acceptance and that you all have like welcomed me with open arms into your friend group. of course because i am lacking in the girlfriend department out here so the fact that i know that i have these people where if I'm just myself, that they're going to be cool with it. Is amazing. And they've all seen my boobs. Yeah, so now, there's no going back now. There's no We're going back. We're in it. We're in it. Everyone has seen much it.
1: And with that said, we just want to say, um, if you
2: would like to leave us a review, please do so. Please do. We love you can, getting reviews. You, yeah, and also, if you guys have a sister solidarity story, we are going to share them next week. This week has been a little bit of a long night for us. Send us an email at... Uh, angry Neighborhood Feminist. Neighborhood Feminist. Oh my god. No, you're good. Send us an email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. It's been a long night. Find us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist or find us on Twitter at YAMF, Y-A-N-F podcast. Feel free to send us your stories via email and Instagram. We check them vigilantly. We love hearing from you guys. It really does make our lives it does. so much better. Um, send us pretty much anything. Sister Solidarity stories, coming out stories. We're going to be talking about women who swear um, on, our next on our next episode. So
1: let us know your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, totally. So I guess you guys, with that,
0: we just encourage you
2: to, to rage on. on.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Go to bed.